Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and we're going to begin reading uh, this evening in verse number 10. continue our uh, series through the book of 1 Corinthians, and, and, um, and 1 Corinthians is a challenging book. It's, it's a hard-hitting book, but it's a very practical book, and um, I've been enjoying studying it thus far, and I hope that you've enjoyed at least the two messages so far as well, and that they've been a blessing to you and, and your family and your lives. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by um, them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am a Paul. And I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the house of Stephanus, besides I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect, for the preaching of the cross to them, or is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. You know, as Baptists, um, one of our core distinctives is the authority of scriptures for all matters of faith and practice. We believe that God's word is our textbook for all doctrine. It's our manual for how to live the Christian life. And and we believe that the the local church today should model itself after the patterns of the New Testament church, the early church, the first church, and in its teaching and in its structure and in its methods. But sometimes I believe that we sometimes forget the fact that the first century churches were not perfect churches. We, they, they experienced substantial struggles during their time that we, too, still face today. Perhaps it's the miracles in, Acts chapter, in, in, in the book of Acts or, or the incredible growth you know, in, in from Acts chapter number 2 through, throughout the book of Acts, the incredible growth of the church at Jerusalem, or, or maybe it's simply the distance of time, but we easily put New Testament churches, Bible churches from, from the first century on a pedestal. And, and we forget that the same frustrations and divisions that we face today, they faced as well, and, and they addressed. Take, for instance, the conflict between the Jews and the Gentile believers in Acts chapter number 15, where Jewish believers came in and, and demanded that the Gentile believers keep the law. And in their mind, in the Jewish mindset, it, their, their position was a position of doctrine. They had been taught from from the law from an early age, and and they knew the consequences that came from disobeying the law. They had um, experienced, well, maybe not experienced, but they had seen from from their ancestors what happened when when a nation or when a people disobeyed God's law. And so they sincerely believed that if these Gentile believers were truly saved, then they ought to get circumcised just like they were circumcised, to follow the law just as they were required to follow the law. 
Or take, for instance, the similar controversy in the Roman church, addressed in Romans chapter number 14, where, where there were some who adhered to a very strict personal convictions regarding eating of meat and, and observing special days. There were some in the church who, who thought that you should not eat meat offered to idols, and there were others who thought that it was no big deal because idols aren't even real, and, and there was controversy that arose within the church. And here in Corinth, we also find that divisions and conflict arose within this early church. In verse 11, Paul says, It hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. That every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. This church was experiencing division and conflict. And I, I don't know about you, but I find um, comfort in knowing that I can look to the Bible to figure out how to resolve divisions and conflict today. The same conflicts that they face, we face today, and we can look to the Bible for answers. And it's easy, it's easy to say, and and all of us say it, that that we should only separate over matters of doctrine. It's easy to say that. We all say that. But if you look at conflicts throughout the millennial, from, from the first century till now, if you look at church conflicts and church splits and all of that, what you find out really quick is that every conflict can in some way, shape, or form be related to truth at some level. You can always find some Bible verse to fit your position and twist it in such a way that, that it, is, it is a matter of separating doctrine that we don't do that. In the 21st century, with, with, the, New Test, with the benefit of the New Testament already being written, it's, it's easy for us to look back at the conflicts in, in the first century and, and just see how foolish their errors were, how foolish the divisions were. But in the moment, it wasn't that simple. In, in the moment, the, it, the issues weren't so plain. The, to the Christians in that moment, the issues that they were facing were very real issues. And each side, whichever side you fell on, each side truly believed that their side was right and that their side was tied to scriptural truths. Part of being a Baptist who is fundamental in doctrine includes a commitment to truth. As Baptists, we are committed to the truth. We are committed to God's word. And we are willing most times to stand for truth if no one else stands with us. But in our zeal, In our zeal for truth, we sometimes separate from good brothers and sisters in Christ unnecessarily. Like the first century Christians, we often twist issues that are personal convictions to us and twist them out of context and take a Bible verse out of context to apply it to our situation and then build a foundation from them. And like the first century church, one of the greatest needs we have today is to find that fine line between separating when it's needed and extending grace when it's not needed. For me right now, I'm trying to find that line. Where, Where is that line? And to do this, it requires that we learn to differentiate between what is cause for separation and what is not. It also means that we must learn how to extend grace to people who we disagree with, but not necessarily us over-separating matters, to offer grace to them for their position. And, and thankfully, the Bible is our source to learn how to do that. 
God has not left us up to chance or up to our own um, personal interpretations. He's given us his word to guide us and to help us find that line of where to separate and where not to. And uh, as, as we previously noticed, Paul begins this letter to the Corinthians by reminding them of who they are in Christ. And in verse number two of chapter number one, Paul uh, says that they are the church of God in Corinth. Not, not the church of Paul, not the church of Peter, not the church of, of, uh, of Chloe, but the church of God in Corinth. And that they are sanctified. They have been set apart in Christ to live holy lives. And to be a witness of God's glory and God's grace in, in that wicked city which was known as Corinth. In verse number four, Paul shifts his focus away from who we are in Christ and, and why we're here to a more um, thankful tone. And he lists some things that he's thankful for. And, and he's not thankful necessarily for anything that this church is doing. He's not thankful for anything necessarily that this church has done. What he's thankful for is what God has done in them for the things that God has given them. And we saw that even though this church had severe problems, God had equipped this church with all the problems that it has. He had equipped these believers with everything they needed spiritually to get right and to live the life God had called them to live as Christians. And now with those introductory elements out of the way, Paul turns to the reason he's writing this letter. And he writes in verse number 10, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul says, I want you to be unified. Now, in light of everything we know about the Corinthian church, unity doesn't seem like the most pressing issue that they have. I know they have divisions, but they have a bunch of other doctrinal issues. They got, they got so many problems in this church. And it might seem like when you're reading this that Paul's kind of just picking that low-hanging fruit and he's easing his way in, he's kind of coaxing his way in before he gets to some more hard-hitting truths, some more hard-hitting pr principles. But, but I, I really don't think that's what Paul's doing. Because when you consider everything that this church is struggling with and all the problems they have, it all boils down to really two fundamental things, a pride issue and a division issue which pretty much just boils down to pride. There is pride and division in this church over leaders in chapter 1 through chapter 4. There is pride and division in this church over sexual ethics and over legal matters from chapter 5 to chapter 6. There is pride and division in, in marriages within this church and in eating of meat offered to idols and in corporate worship. And, and you find pride even, even in the spiritual gifts that God had given them. You find people boasting in the gifts that they have and, and kind of separating according to whose gifts they deem more worthy or or better gifts, and, and there's even people who are dividing through pride over the resurrection of the dead. And taken in isolation, each one of these issues really could be tackled on their own merit. Paul could just systematically go through each one, lay a biblical foundation, and say, okay, stop doing that, do this instead. But Paul really wants to start off right, and Paul is a wise apostle. He's a wise pastor. He understands that if he's going to address all these problems, the first thing they need to do is they need to learn how to be unified in Christ. 
He knows that the, he sees, as a wise apostle, as a wise pastor, he sees the common thread running throughout all the problems in this church, and that is pride and division. So he dresses it up front, and he begs them. He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you. He, he wasn't there. He was away. But Chloe's household had written to him and declared unto him that there was contentions among them. There was quarrels in this church. There was infighting. There were fractions in the body of Christ. With each member or each party, each fraction identifying with a certain man. He says, Chloe, her household's made it known unto me that you, there's groups within this church and one of you are saying, I'm of Paul. You're, you're, just, you're of me. You're following me. And, and some of you are saying, I'm of Apollos. I, I'm following Apollos. And there's others of you that say, I'm of Cephas. And if you don't know who Cephas is, that's just the Aramaic name for Peter. And they say, I'm of Peter. I'm following Peter. And there's others that say, well, I'm not following any of them. I'm, I'm just following Christ. And, and there's divisions among the church. And Paul says that ought not to be the case. And he lists a series of questions, thought-provoking questions, to, to show them the error of that kind of division, the error of that kind of thinking, to promote a man and to follow a man. He, he asks in verse number 13, Paul writes, is Christ divided? And what is the answer to that question? Is Christ divided? No. no. He says, is Christ divided? Was, was Paul, was I crucified for you? Or were you baptized in my name? Why does Paul ask these questions? He wants them to see that the preeminent person that we should follow is Jesus Christ. Because he, Jesus Christ is the only one who was crucified for us. He was the only one in whose name we should be baptized in. Paul says, Paul says listen to the church at Corinth. He says, don't take a man and make him the head of the body. Don't take a man and follow him. Instead, remember whose fellowship you are in. Jesus Christ. Remember who bought you with his blood. Remember who purchased the church. Remember whose name you were baptized in and put your loyalty in him, in him alone. Paul says, I wasn't crucified for you. You weren't baptized in my name. And I want to say, I was not crucified for you either. I told the teens one time that I don't think I would give my life for hardly anybody. <laughs> and they said, even your mom and, and I should have said, no, not my mom, but I said, yeah, even my mom. I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> and, and, they, and they never let me forget it. But, but anyways, but Paul, Paul says, listen, Jesus was the one who gave his life for you. And there are some, even within the church today, who, who put their loyalty too much in mankind. I, I want to be real honest with you. I, there are certain pastors that I enjoy listening to more than others, and maybe you have certain favorites that you just enjoy listening to. There's a few who I listen to on a regular basis, at least two who I listen to or try to listen to on a weekly basis. 
and I just enjoy listening to them. I get, I, every time I listen to them, I get something that feeds my soul, and, and I go to listen to them, and there's certain commentaries that, that I prefer that, that Bob doesn't prefer, and he prefers ones that I don't prefer, and there's certain things that we learn from better than others, but, but at the end of the day, I'm not following those pastors, and I'm not following those men, and I'm not following those commentaries. I'm checking everything with the Word of God to make sure if they say something that doesn't line up with this, then I'm following this, not what they say. We got too many people who are following their pastors. And I want to just say this we have a good pastor to follow. He stood on God's word. He's faithful to God's word. But there are but but there are other churches whose pastors aren't faithful to God's word. And I know some people right now who who if you show them the Bible, but their pastor disagrees with the Bible. They follow their pastor because they respect him and because they love him. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with loving your pastor and respecting your pastor, but you ought not to love him and respect him more than Jesus Christ. Because it was Jesus who was crucified for you. It was Jesus whose name you were baptized in. It's his body. He's the head of the body. And we all fall in line with that. Even the church staff and leadership falls in line with that. If you think about all the different denominations we have within the realm of Christendom, think about, just think about all the denominations. I mean, there's a lot of them. Think about all the churches you pass on the way to this church and the denominations that you pass and the doctrines or the positions that they hold and the many fractions within that. And, and, and it's limitless. And think about all the confusion that that has caused within our world. I mean, you talk to people, they don't even know what to believe because Christians don't seem to know what to believe. They, they can't find truth because Christians can't even agree on what's truth. And you think about all the heresy that has crept into the church over the years. And you think about all the false doctrine. And, and now you got denominations that are ordaining, ordaining homosexuals and, and, and women as pastors and, and all of these things. And, and preaching a lifestyle that is like you can have Christ and then live however you want. And you wonder to yourself, how did we get there? How, how can we get so far away from the first century church? And here's the, here's the answer. Because somewhere along the way, we decided, and not, not necessarily us personally, but Chris, Christians decided somewhere along the way that I'm going to follow a man rather than Jesus Christ and his work. That's how we got there. If you stick to this, you can't get led astray. But when you put your faith and when you put your loyalty behind a man, they're prone to fall just like anyone else. And Paul reminds this church that Christ is not divided. There isn't fractions. There isn't different denominations. There's not different, different um, doctrines. There is one body. There is one spirit. Even as ye are called in the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Ephesians chapter number 4, verse 4 through 6. And we ought to be united today as Christians, as brothers and sisters. Now, with that being said, I want, I want to clarify something. We don't just unite for any reason. There are some criterias that God gives us for unity within the body of Christ. We, we, we ought not to be 
um, Billy Graham and go out and just associate with every denomination and every person and praise the Pope and, and all of that. that. That is not what a Christian ought to do because God has given us some criteria, and I want you to notice them tonight from this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians. The, one of the criteria for unity is that we must have the same message. Look with me at verse number 10. Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. You speak the same thing. You have the same message. Whenever you study the New Testament and you study the spread of the church, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that every apostle, every leader within the church who, who God a word says as a leader, not, not false leaders, but every leader within the church, every apostle from the apostle Paul through the, through the rest of them, all preach the same gospel message. They all preach the same thing. Not one of them preaches a separate gospel. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and verse number 1 through 4, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I, I preached unto you, which, um, which also ye ha- have received, and wherein ye stand, by the which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory that or what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Verse number 3 says, For I delivered unto you, and this is the gospel in a nutshell, he says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You will never find another person throughout the entire New Testament that will preach any other gospel on the authority of God other than that. Peter doesn't preach a different gospel. Paul doesn't preach a different gospel. Jesus didn't preach a different gospel. And, we, and I've met some people who, who ride around and come to the church and try to tell you that Jesus preached a different gospel than Paul. There's no evidence of that in Scripture. It is the same. And, 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 and Paul will later write to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter number 1 and verse number 8. He says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Let them be an outcast. Don't associate with that person. And, and we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed. As Christians, we reunite around the same message, which is the gospel message that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he rose again from the dead. And one day he's coming back to call all who believe on him home to be with him forevermore. We can't unite with anyone who does not preach that, who does not have that message. By the way, this is one of the reasons you need to learn your Bible. Because if you don't know your Bible, it's very easy to be led astray by a smooth-talking preacher who will just tell you what you want to hear, make it sound very convincing, but it does not line up with Scripture. You need to know your Bible. You need to study it. You need to be in it. You need to memorize it. That way, when, when someone stands behind this pulpit, you know if they're telling you, thus saith the Lord, or if they're not. Or when you go on TikTok, or you go on YouTube, or you just turn on the TV or the radio, and there's some preacher preaching who has all these credentials and who has all these religious qualifications, you can know if what they're telling you is true or if it's not. 
And you won't get led astray. You won't become um, a, a casualty of warfare. You won't become food for the wolves, so to speak. We must be united around the same message, the gospel message. But we must also be united around the same doctrines. Paul continues in verse number 10 by saying, And that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, as I was studying this out, there, there was a lot of commentaries, and I read a variety of commentaries, but there was a lot of commentaries whose, whose commentators said that this is impossible. They, they argued that if you believe this, that, that, that if you believe that no one can, or that everyone has to see eye to eye on what the Bible says about doctrinal issues, that, that we could never fellowship with anyone. And there's some truth to that. I, I, I honestly think that's true. I mean, if, if, if we as a church hold to the position that we must see eye to eye on the doctrines of God's word, then there are certain quote-unquote ch- churches that we can't fellowship with. And that's going to limit who we can fellowship with and who we can be a part of and who we can invite to our church and whose churches we can go to. And that's going to make it a smaller circle than it would be if we didn't have such distinctions. (laughs) But respectfully, so what? (laughs) The New Testament doctrines and the principles that are found in God's Word are what bind us together, and they cannot be dismissed for the sake of unity. There's a growing... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a growing influence among, the, among Christendom today, especially among young people my age, who, who want to unify with everyone because we want to just come together, sing Kumbaya, and go out and preach the gospel. And so as long as the church is preaching the gospel, it doesn't matter what else they believe about the Bible, we're going to fellowship with them. And I want to say the Bible says you ought not to fellowship with somebody just because the gospel is right if they're wrong on other doctrines. Because the other doctrines are important as well. I understand that the most important message we have is the gospel because you cannot get to heaven. You cannot get saved without the gospel. But you need the other doctrines as well to have a right view of God and to have a right view of the world and to live godly in this present world. God didn't just give us his, his word simply so we could get saved. He gave us his word so we could also grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. James addressed the need for the foundation of unity in his pronouncement at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter number 15. While, while the Jews and the Gentiles were kind of arguing back and forth, he, he, James stands up and, and he doesn't give the Jewish believers everything they demanded. In, in some ways, he, 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 he allows the Gentiles to continue doing certain things, but he writes and he's to the Gentiles and he says, there are some necessary things you must abide by. In Acts chapter number 15 and verse number 28, James said, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves ye shall do well, fare you well. There were some concerns that James said can be dismissed. 
You don't have to, you're not under the Old Testament law anymore. You don't, have to follow, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. You don't have to go to the temple anymore and make sacrifices. Those things can be dismissed. But there are certain things, James said, that cannot be dismissed. They are necessary things, and you must agree on those. You must practice those if you're going to be part of this body, if you're going to have fellowship. And as Baptists, we believe that, the doc, that doctrine is the glue that binds us together. That where there is no common doctrine, there cannot and will not be fellowship. And while some may accuse us of being narrow-minded and bigots and unloving Christians, the fact of the matter, the truth of the matter is that God has commanded us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And in Romans chapter number 16 and verse 17, Paul will explicitly write to the Romans or to the Christians at Rome that we mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to doctrine, which ye have learned and avoid them. I, I try very hard to live peaceably with all men. But when it comes to doctrine, there is no compromise. As much as I may like you as a person, we must agree on thus saith the Lord. We must believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We must believe that Jesus is God. That in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead body. Not not just that he is a God, but that he is the God that created all things. We must believe that. We must believe that Jesus is coming again. We must believe that there is a heaven and a hell. Not, not that there's just, just um, some other form of punishment, but that the Bible teaches that there is a heaven and that there is a hell. And whoever does not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will spend an eternity, not in hell, but the lake of fire. Those are some things we have to believe. There's some others. I don't have time to go into them tonight, but... Doctrine matters. Paul will write to the Philippian church this in Philippians chapter number 3 and verse number 13. Paul writes these words, Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark of the, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many be perfect, be thus minded, and if, any, if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk, this is what he says, let us walk by the same rule, and let us mind the same things, let us believe the same things, let us think the same things. Brethren, be, not, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have for us an example." For many walk, and I found this interesting. He says, many walk, whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. He's not angry, he's weeping. That they are the enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their bellies, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. We've got to be careful who we listen to. We've got to be careful who we follow. Because there are people who have the appearance of godliness, but their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and we need to check everything everybody says through this book. 
And if it doesn't, we need to avoid them, not because we hate them, not because we're not going to share the gospel, because if we have the opportunity, we will share the gospel with anyone. But because we want to be careful that we don't lead ourselves down a path, we don't lead our church down a path, we don't lead our children down a path that ends in destruction. There's nothing wrong, and, and again, Pastor said, and I agree with him, it's easy to preach against other people. And, and I'm going to be honest, I have family members who go to more contemporary style churches, and, and, and I'm going to be honest, they typically tend to be sound on the gospel. You can get saved going to a contemporary church, but when you compromise and you go to a church just because they preach the gospel and then they make you feel good, it may not hurt you as a parent. may not hurt you as a husband and wife. You're solid. You know what you believe. You know what the Bible says, but you know who is going to hurt in the long run? Your children and your grandchildren because they don't know what they believe yet. And you need to be careful that you don't lead them down a path and lead them to follow people who will lead them to destruction. Whereas you'll be saved, you'll be sitting in heaven, but they won't because you chose to compromise. But then I want you to notice lastly that in order to have unity, not only do we need to have the same message and have the same doctrine, but we must have the same purpose. And if we're, if we're going to accomplish what God has had us to accomplish, we all got to get on the same page on what our purpose is. What is our purpose? Verse 17 through 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. So what's our purpose? Our purpose is to preach the gospel. But not just preach the gospel. Also disciple those who trust Christ as their Savior. <laughs> Jesus' last command before he left the earth, we call it the Great Commission. And it's found in Matthew chapter number 28 and verse 19 through 20. And Jesus said these words, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You know what our purpose is, our purpose is not to have fun. Although I want us to have fun. There's, you should have fun serving the Lord. It is, there is joy in serving the Lord. But our purpose is not just to have a good time and have fun when we come, when we come here or as a church. That's not our purpose. And our purpose isn't to entertain people. We're not here to put on a show so that people can just enjoy the show. That's not our purpose. And our purpose isn't to get rich, which is a good thing, because if it was, I'm in the wrong place. That's not our purpose. Our purpose isn't to have fancy things or to have a large following. I'm not preaching tonight so that I can get some huge crowd to follow me. Now, I'm going to be honest. If thousands of people came to listen to me preach, I got no problem with it. I would love to preach to that many people, but that's not why I preach. We could have just me, Chris, and Gloria in here, and I'd still preach a message. The purpose of why we're here is to preach the gospel and to disciple those who believe to help them grow. And everything we do as a church, every activity we have, every, every, every session we do should be through the lens of does this help us reach people with the gospel and it, does it help us grow each other in Christ? That's our filter. 
is what we're doing when, when I look at, at our youth group, because that's what I'm in charge of at Bible Baptist Church. My goal is every time I do something, is this going to help us grow together in Christ? And is this going to help me get the gospel out to more teenagers who need to hear it? And that ought to be our goal as a church, is everything we do should flow through that prism. That's our purpose, and we must unite in that purpose. Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation, your lifestyle, your, your conduct be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, and that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We need one spirit and one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. There are many things in this world that aren't necessarily wrong and that we do need to spend time doing. Right? You need to go to work. You need to eat. We need to eat after this. You need to spend time with your family. You need to spend time with some friends. You, you need to maybe have some down, relaxing time so you don't just get tense and just die of being overworked. You need, you need certain things. But the most needful thing we have is to preach the gospel and to disciple each other. That's what we need more than anything else. To present to people a crucified, risen, ascended, and returning Christ. That all hearts might come to him. That lives would be changed and would get focused on Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you this, this evening. I want to encourage you. Maybe you're doing this already, but I want to encourage you. Let's put away the distractions. Let's put away all the good things, and let's focus on the best thing. Let's put away our petty differences, because that's easy to have, too. I, I, I'm the first to tell you, sometimes I have petty differences with people, and I have a hard time letting it go, you know, because people have to see everything like I see it, which is not true. They have to see everything the way God sees it, but they don't need to see it every way I see it. And we need to put away our petty differences. And what we need to do as a church is we need to get our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and on his word and just start following him. And if we do that, I promise you, there will be a spirit in this church that you will not want to not be a part of. And that we will see people saved and we will see people baptized. Why? Because when you're following Jesus, there's no other thing in the world that can make you happier. If you're struggling in your marriage tonight, this isn't the point of the message, but if you are struggling in your marriage tonight, you know what both of you need, your husband's wife, you know what you need? To get your eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you walk close to him, you'll get closer together as a couple. We need to be unified in Christ. He died for us. We were baptized in his name. This is his body. He's the head. And it's high time that Christians get united behind that. Listen to that.